Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks very much for tuning in here with me today. It is Monday, April the 27th. Hope you guys had a good weekend out there. Got a good show lined up today. Acumen Law's Kyla Lee will be joining me in the back half of the show to talk about ICBC waiving cancellation and replating fees. How can the court start to get some work underway to reduce the backlog? And, well, we'll also talk a little bit about her new YouTube show, Kyla's Court. If you have a minor dispute that you need resolved during this pandemic, well, maybe this could be a way to help figure it out. Get a little bit of a, a, a light news story here in at some point during the show. And at the end of the day program, uh, I'm going to be joined by Research Director at Angus Reed. Uh, Dave Krasinski to talk a little bit about this new survey that they just put out here today. It shows that 50% of Canadians are saying that their mental health has worsened uh, as we have gone through this COVID-19 pandemic and while their feelings mainly are being described as worried and anxious. So I'll be talking a little bit more about that survey and its results here uh, later on in the hour. But to begin today's show, well, I wanted to talk about tree planting. On Friday, BC's Minister of Forest Lands and Natural Resources, Doug Donaldson, announced that the province will be going ahead with plans to plant some 310 million trees this year. This year, the province has had planned its single largest planting program of over 310 million trees, with much of it focused on areas impacted by the 2017 and 2018 wildfires. Following extensive discussions with the Ministry of Health, we believe this important work can proceed with the proper precautions in place. BC continues to be a leader in the fight against COVID-19, and now is the time to reinforce our efforts to keep people safe and healthy. To that end, the Provincial Health Office and those involved in delivering tree planting have developed supplementary civil culture measures that tree planting operators and their employees must follow to reduce and mitigate the risks of COVID-19. Now, Chief Forester Diane Nichols says it will be taking those necessary steps, of course, to try and keep workers safe. This protocol includes reducing the number of social interactions amongst workers and employers and nearby communities, physical distancing, and enhancing protection uh, via masks where physical distancing is not practical. Good hygiene practices and cleaning and disinfecting high-touch point areas at the start and end of every day. Additionally, all forestry camps, accommodations, and work sites will be inspected by provincial infection and control officers to ensure all required health and safety measures are in place. With regards to expecting to meet the targets of planting the numbers of trees that we have to go in the ground this year, um, we're very hopeful that we'll be close to um, getting most of those trees in the ground. Uh, we're doing everything possible that we can, respecting, of course, health and wellness first. So the province clearly has some confidence that work will not only go ahead, but that it will be able to, uh, you know, get close to reaching that target of planting 310 million trees. Now here to continue this conversation, I'm joined on the line by Ben Parfit. He's a resource policy analyst with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, BC office. Ben, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. So we wanted to talk about tree planting and, and how that sort of industry is being impacted right now by COVID-19. Of course, it's in a valuable service that, uh, you know, is important to our environment. I guess maybe just give me a quick overview of sort of what you're researching right now when it comes to tree planting and how it's going to work as we, uh, you know, live in this kind of new world that we find ourselves in. 
Well, you could say it's a perfect storm for uh, um, everyone in light of COVID-19, but it's particularly challenging for the tree planting industry. This year was to be a record-setting year for British Columbia in terms of the planting of trees, roughly 310 million. So, you know, about 60 million more trees planted this year than on average uh, over the last 10 years. Um, the big challenge, of course, is, is how do you go about doing that when you're going to need to put roughly 5,000 people onto the ground um, and have them living in camps that, you know, will be moved about every few weeks or so? Um, that is a real challenge. It's a challenge both in terms of keeping the workers in those camps safe but also the people in nearby communities safe. Uh, so there's got to be very, very strict protocols in place that ensure that people that go to work at those camps have isolated fully for 14 days before they arrive. And then there's going to have to be extremely uh, rigid protocols in place to ensure that those people uh, do not come into contact with people in communities, potentially spreading the virus to the communities or the other way around with the virus be spreading from the communities into the camps themselves. Because uh, we know, and we, we've seen examples of this, um, when you have people living in close proximity to one another, working in close proximity to one another, um, the evidence is very clear that the virus can spread quite quickly uh, among uh, close-knit populations. Yeah, so a number of different issues that are brought forward here as a result. I mean, not only is it uh, concerning for the health of those who are partaking in the tree planting process, but of course, just the necessity to go about doing that tree planting work and how critical it is. And you mentioned, you know, this was set to be a record summer for, for planting trees here in BC. And, uh, you know, what, what sorts of impacts can we look forward to, uh, you know, with the fact that there might not be as many trees planted? What, what sorts of consequences can that provide? Well, there's, there's a couple of con consequences. One, there's, there's an obvious consequence for, for uh, the industry, uh, for the government, um, for the logging companies. Uh, $80 million um, invested to date just to grow the trees in the nurseries prior to planting them on the ground at logging sites. But there's also um, a, a significant uh, environmental issue at play here. Roughly a third of the 300 million uh, seedlings or so that were to be planted this year were what are known in industry and government jargon as incremental. These were trees that the government, uh, both Canadian and provincial government, had paid for and that the uh, tree planting industry was expected to plant um, in areas of forest that had been, um, for example, burned during the uh, extensive wildfire seasons in 2017 and 2018 um, and on other areas of land. And, you know, what we're seeing uh, over time in this province has been a dramatic reduction in the number of healthy living trees um, as a result of these horrendous wildfire seasons of the um, long-standing beetle attacks and the elevated logging that had happened in response to those attacks. So there is, without question, um, uh, a need to get healthy numbers of trees growing on, on areas that are bereft of trees right now. And, you know, what I'm hearing from people in smaller communities um, that at present are facing flood risk uh, in the interior of the province is that there is definitely a connection between the severity of floods that we are seeing in recent years and the lack 
of healthy forest cover in the interior. So ultimately, we need to get more trees planted. The big question, and it is a significant one, is whether that planting should be happening this year in light of the concerns raised by the pandemic. So it is an incredibly challenging situation that the industry uh, faces, an incredibly challenging situation for the provincial government and for the logging industry, um, and also an incredibly challenging situation for um, smaller, isolated rural communities, particularly First Nations communities, that um, lack basic health care services and that stand to be the most at risk. Um, should um, the virus um, enter their community. So very, very challenging situation um, that is going to require a great deal of care to pull off. Also bear in mind that roughly half of the estimated 5,000 planters that would be needed to complete the planting program in the interior of the province this year would have to come to British Columbia from outside of the province. Typically, many of those planters come from uh, Ontario and Quebec, where we know there are um, more significant problems associated with COVID-19 than there are in British Columbia. Yeah, so Ben, uh, you mentioned the flooding risks too that's associated with a lack of trees being planted and, you know, as we're going through the spring season here and we here in the interior have already started to see some issues with flooding uh, you know we've had it here in Cache Creek we've seen people being evacuated or put on evacuation orders because of flood concerns so it's already started and uh, you know if there are fewer trees going to be planted here this year I mean that problem um, isn't going to be fixed or at least addressed when it comes to the tree part of the issue uh, this summer it sounds like so what what is your I guess analysis right now as you look at the industry and the importance of this work being done but at the same point of course more importantly is probably the health of individuals who are going to be doing the work. Um, you know, is, is this even uh, something that you view as being plausible to start here in, in, in 2020? Well, certainly people that I have spoken with uh, in the industry uh, uh, have raised, uh, these are veteran tree planters, have raised doubts about whether it's going to be possible uh, to, to socially uh, isolate uh, adequately prior to these people going to camp, let alone when the people are in camp itself. Um, so, you know, I, I think <laughs> the, the jury's out. Um, we, we do know that there have been uh, incidents of uh, people uh, becoming ill with COVID or COVID-like symptoms at other workers' camps, notably uh, uh, those camps associated with the big uh, gas uh, uh, pipeline and LNG project mm -hmm. and uh, with workers at Site C. So it's certainly, um, you know, entirely feasible that we could see uh, workers becoming sick at these tree planting camps. I think the, the best observation that I've, I've had made uh, to me as I've talked to people uh, associated with the industry in the last little while is that you know, it's it's highly unlikely that even if tree planting commences this year, that we are going to get anywhere close to the full planting um, done this year that was anticipated. So really, the better thing to do would be to, to be looking at triage. Um, where do we uh, put these trees um, uh, in a way that is going to, you know, ensure the greatest safety for surrounding communities while still ensuring that some planting takes place. I think that that's, you know, the, should be the test and we will see what happens. Realistically, 
the need is going to be great to look at, um, I think, very targeted planting efforts in, in, in certain places of the province. And if the industry and government are able to do so in a way that ensures, you know, the highest uh, degree of isolation possible um, in those limited number of areas where the planting does take place, um, I think that that's probably the best that we can hope for under the current circumstances. Well, Ben, I uh, really do appreciate your time here. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, and, you know, maybe we can catch up down the road and, and see what kinds of progress has been made on this issue as we get deeper and deeper into the summer. So uh, thanks so much for doing this, Ben. R- really appreciate it. Uh, that, that was Ben Parfit, Resource Policy Analyst with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, BC Office. So once again, the province has given the green light to go ahead with tree planting efforts this year. It's scheduled to be the single largest planting program in BC with more than 310 million trees getting in the ground this year. Whether all that work gets done is very much up in the air, but plans will be made to try and move ahead with that work uh, and they'll try to do so in a safe manner. We'll see if that is possible. Um, you know, Ben made a lot of points about how that work, you know, as much as it's it's great to see and we love to see that, uh, you know, all these trees are planting, planning to be planted, uh, whether or not that can actually get done this year uh, in the volumes that they want, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, let's take a quick break here and I'll be back with Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. We're going to be talking about a number of different issues, so please stick around and we'll be back with more Jeff Andrea show in just a little bit. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Monday, April 27th. Appreciate you keeping your ears tuned to Radio NL. I'm joined on the phone now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here today? I'm not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Just trying to, uh, you know, take it one day at a time. One day we'll be able to, uh, you know, live life like we had, uh, well, we all want to. I know everyone's complaining about it, and uh, I'm I'm no different, but I'm trying to keep my complaints uh, as internal as possible. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> Kyla, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, just these plans by ICBC. They announced, uh, it's not super new news, but they did announce plans to waive uh, $30 policy cancellation fees as well as $18 replating fees for people who choose to cancel their insurance. Now, I guess it's kind of felt, uh, you know, a lot of people are not driving as much. Or there's less people on the road. Um, you know, you're not uh, driving to work like you normally would. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are out there looking to save a few dollars when it comes to insurance. Everyone's trying to save money in some way, shape, or form it feels like these days um, just what are your thoughts here on, on what icbc did announce i mean uh, you know i guess they're trying to help people out but uh, it, there's not a not a whole lot there when we're talking a total of uh, less than 50 bucks yeah it's not really much that's gonna i think make or break it for very many families and for people who've had vehicles and have had to have vehicles but no longer need to use them because their jobs aren't running right now or, or whatever the case may be, the only people who can actually take the insurance off their vehicles completely and turn the plates into ICBC are people who have a house and a driveway to park the vehicle in. But if you live you know, somewhere where you don't have a house where you have to park your vehicle on the street, you can't cancel your insurance. You can maybe change it to parking insurance but you can't cancel it. So it's also only a very small subset of people in British Columbia, most of whom are, you know, have that additional financial asset of a home who are going to be able to get the advantage of this $48 savings. It's it's a little bit rich in my opinion that they're doing this when insurance rates are so high. 
Well, yeah, and, and talking about that as well, too, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who probably, you know, couldn't really be in a position to cancel insurance. I know there's sometimes penalties that are put in place for people who are, you know, have a period of not having insurance. So, I mean, people probably don't want to cancel if they don't have to, but at the same point in time, they're looking to save a few dollars. So, I mean, do you have any I, I thoughts, I guess, on, on what would be a better course of action for ICBC? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've put some, some thought to this. I think that if ICBC is wanting to help people out who are not driving or who are driving significantly less as a result of, of this pandemic, what they could do is offer for people to self-report how their driving has changed and then to adjust their rates to a very, very basic rate for people who are only driving a very small amount, not the people who are continuing to work full-time and, and drive to the grocery store on the weekends, but the people who are out of work and you know still have to drive a little bit and so need to keep their vehicle. I think that would be a better approach, and they can always audit and verify that using the mileage data from the vehicle once the people need to get their insurance back to the full driving mm-hmm. rate. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would be calling for something similar, uh, just because, yeah, you, it's hard to really know exactly what your driving habits are now compared to what they were uh, until you start looking at those, those uh, you know, your odometers and all that kind of stuff and figuring it out. But, yeah, just a lot of people not moving anywhere, so not a need for insurance, but probably don't want to cancel it. Um, and, yeah, 30 bucks or 48 total dollars, not, not a whole lot of incentive there, I don't think, for, for too, too many folks to go about doing that. Um, I wanted to ask you too. You you put out this article here, um, you know, uh, not too long ago, just talking about, uh, you know, a BC provincial court looking at all options that will allow it to expand current services and and doing so in a safe manner. So you decided to take take a stab here, Kyla, at trying to put forward some suggestions on how to go about doing that, how to go about expanding some of the services that will be available uh, in the BC court once things once things start to open up. So uh, maybe just on a kind of an overview standpoint, I mean, how can the BC provincial court go about looking to to bring more matters in um, while sort of trying to reduce some of the backlog without you know putting people at risk well, I think a big part of it involves looking at the types of matters that the court is hearing and which types of matters can easily be addressed by video conferencing if it's ever going to be available or telephone. Um, lots of things can happen over the phone and we do things already over the phone in, in numerous courthouses in the provincial court in British Columbia where applications are made. So waiving the requirement for those applications and making the simple matters move forward through telephone hearings would allow a lot of the backlog to be cleared and uh, would allow um, the parties to resolve files that are otherwise sitting there, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen when things get up and running again. Yeah, and, and in your piece, you kind of go through the different types of criminal matters and how they could be addressed in, in different different ways. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me here uh, was just because you obviously are, are someone who deals a lot with traffic violations and, and things that come along with, uh, with, with vehicle incidents. Um, you know, uh, there was talk about... Um, May, May 19th here, so, uh, you know, less than a month away where, where courts could reopen for some traffic court matters again. And you talked a little bit about just how, you know, traffic court can be one of those areas where there is some of the more congested uh, rooms when it comes to being in, in court and dealing with those traffic issues. So I guess just what, what are your thoughts here on uh, whether or not things will start to open up here uh, on May 19th? Do you think that's feasible? And, and sort of how can uh, you go about or, or what ideas do you have to, to help move things along in, uh, in a more rapid manner? 
I don't think the traffic court can resume as it has been happening because you would have, you know, 30 people crammed into one room. It would be impossible to maintain social distancing. Um, you have officers who have to have close contact discussions with people in the hallways. It just doesn't lend itself to that. But what can be done to alleviate the number of people that are going to come to court is before reopening the court, allow people who just want to dispute the fine amount to get a reduction on their fine or time to pay people who've already made an arrangement with the officer to resolve the ticket and are pleading guilty or the ticket's being withdrawn or they're getting a lesser charge, um, allow those people to do all of that by telephone. So that the only matters that are left at the courthouse when things resume are the matters that are being dealt with by way of a trial. And then you're going to have only a handful of people in the courtroom at any given time um, who are needing to be there. It increases the amount of space and increases the opportunities for social distancing. What do you think those steps would do just in terms of timing as well? I mean, how much quicker do you think things could, could speed along if those steps were taken, um, you know, prior to that May, May 19th? I guess the date's not really that important. But if you just took those steps, you know, do you think that, that things could be sped up in a, in a you know, you can't, can't put an obvious actual time frame on it, but, you know, just speaking to how, how much more quickly things could go, I mean, would that make a massive difference? It would make a huge difference. In my experience, usually about 75% of the matters that are on the court list, and lots of days it's 100% of them, are resolved. Um, whether it's somebody pleading guilty, asking for a fine reduction, the officer not showing up, the officer withdrawing the ticket, they're resolved in some way. And so it's, it's very rare to see the majority of the court list actually go to trial. In fact, usually it's only one or two matters that end up being set for trial. So if you have a list that's 30 people reduced down to two people, that's a substantial difference that's going to impact a lot of people and speed up the entire court process because we can now start to deal with matters well in advance of the court dates and clear up backlog that exists just naturally in the system that way as well. Now, as some of these changes are implemented, whether they're the ones that you suggest or, you know, whatever other else might come about as, as things do start to resume, do you ever see court working the same way that it was prior to, prior to this pandemic? Do you ever see that coming back at all? Or is everything really, do you think, going to be sort of flipped on its head in terms of finding out ways to reduce the backlog, to reduce the amount of people that are coming into courtrooms? I mean, I got to imagine once we start to see how things were coming out of this, that that will probably be the new normal in terms of how the court system works. I'm optimistic that we won't go back to the way things were. I'm optimistic that we're going to look at this and go, look, here's a lot of ways that we can improve efficiencies in the system, um, cut down on the number of times that people are required to sit around in a courthouse. It's not just when there's a pandemic that going to court risks people's health. I mean, there are sick people in the courthouse all the time, mm -hmm. you know, during the normal times. Um, you know, we, we need to revisit whether it's necessary to bring somebody there to sit around for 45 minutes to speak for a minute to say, I want to adjourn my trial. Um, that's not, you know, that's not a good use of court time. And I think we could significantly increase efficiency in the system if we adopted some of the procedures that we're going to be using to bring things back to normal as permanent solutions going forward. Yeah, and um, I, I, court date's probably not something a lot of people are thinking about calling in sick to either, so it's not something that you can just put off as, as easily as, you know, maybe taking a day off work or something. Not that anyone ever wants to do that, but uh, when it comes to the court, you're, you're probably not going to miss your date because you got the sniffles, so um, nope. definitely something to keep in mind, I think. Now, uh, I wanted to end things up on a little bit of a, a less serious note. Uh, you've started this new YouTube segment called Kyla's Court. I've watched a couple of them now, you know, short segments, maybe four minutes long, where you're taking a dispute 
Roberts and trying to help provide some kind of resolution. Um, you know, the, the one I saw that uh, you talked about dogs attacking each other under a fence and you were able to decide which neighbor was maybe at fault. Uh, the last one was uh, real important. It had a, a, a woman who had a, a, an issue with her, her uh, feline roommate and you helped, uh, you know, resolve that situation. Um, you know, why was this something that you wanted to do? I mean, obviously we're all bored and we need some entertainment, but, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what was your motivation? I love Judge Judy and all those courtroom TV shows, and none of them are filming new episodes right now. So I thought, you know what, here's a way to make people laugh for people like me who are fans of those shows to give them something that they enjoy and they want to watch and uh, and to, you know, just poke a little bit of fun at myself in the in the meantime. So that was why. Awesome. Well, I really like it. I hope people check it out. And if anyone out there is listening and has something that they need resolved, uh, how can they go about contacting you to see if, you, you know, Judge, Judge Kyla can, uh, can come to the rescue? They can submit their dispute to me on Twitter, or they can send in uh, send me an email, kyla at kylalee.ca, or vancouvercriminallaw.com slash kyla's court. We have an online forum for suspicion, uh, submissions. Perfect. I love it. And you can find Kyla on Twitter at IRP Lawyer as well. So thanks so much, Kyla. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you get a few new, uh, few new issues to resolve. I, I look forward to seeing them. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Bye. That was Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee. Well, let's take a bit of a break here, and uh, coming up, we'll be talking about concerns when it comes to mental health as Canadians go through this pandemic. You know, things seem to be getting worse the longer things drag on, and Angus Reid is out with a new poll here that came out this morning. I'll be talking with uh, Angus Reid Research Director Dave Korzynski after this, so please stick around. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Monday. Mental health, of course, has been a topic of discussion throughout the pandemic. And I think the longer we sit at home, the more relevant really this conversation has become, at least in my opinion. A new, a new study from the Angus Reid Institute is looking to answer a number of questions, including, you know, what extent have job losses, illness, uncertainty, and self-isolation affected the emotional and psychological well-being of Canadians? And, and how are they bearing up and, and what are they feeling? Well, I'm joined on the phone now by Angus Reid Research Director. Dave Korzynski. Dave, how you doing here? Uh, not too bad. We're ha hanging in there and, and working hard out here in Vancouver. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks so much for taking the time. Now, uh, you put this uh, survey here out today. 50% uh, of Canadians say their mental health has worsened throughout this whole situation. So I just wanted to kind of ask you about the timing first, I guess. Why was this felt like this was an appropriate time to start asking questions about people's mental well-being? Well, I think that uh, one of the things is that um, for most people, I think this started about the middle of March, that kind of that last weekend, the 14th, 15th, it seemed to be a bit of a turning point where government started to say, you know, stay home, uh, people stopped going into work. And so it's, it's been six weeks now, and we, we just wanted to ask Canadians how they're dealing with it. And there's a number of elements to that. There's the mental health where we have 50% of Canadians across the country saying that their mental health has worsened uh, due to their self-isolation and, and due to just being stuck at home. And 42%, so slightly fewer, but a, a still a considerable number, say that their physical health has actually taken a hit. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, are having a difficult time getting out there and, and being active because there's uh, such a, and, and, uh, a focus on staying at home and avoiding uh, people in public spaces 
that it, it's been tricky. You know, all the gyms are closed and, and people are relying on home workouts if they, if they are doing uh, much at home at all. Um, so those are the two things that I think we saw most is just that, you know, we've, we've been doing this for a month and a half and about half of the population says that it is starting to take a toll on them. Um, we asked Canadians about the last couple of weeks how they're, they're feeling. The, the words that they are most likely to be used to describe that are, are worried and anxious. So that gives you another idea just of the, the sense of, among a lot of Canadians um, as we roll on into May here and, and people are, are kind of looking for answers as to uh, what's next and how long they're, they're going to be stuck at home. Yeah, and, and you kind of broke down some of this data into, you know, age groups and, and genders. And I was just wondering if there was anything that stood out to you in terms of a specific, you know, age group that maybe is feeling a little more impacted than others. As I kind of looked through the data, you know, there wasn't huge discrepancies, I felt, uh, between most of the age groups. But of course, as, uh, you know, the people got a little bit older, there, there did seem to be a little bit more uh, of a concern when it comes to uh, health outcomes. Yeah, I think that what we've seen consistently is that um, Canadians who are older are more likely to say that they are worried about the virus, they're worried about the impacts that, that, that it could have on them and their family. And I think that's just the, the reality of it. It's, it's a, a lot more difficult if you're somebody who might be at risk here than people who are younger. And if they do get the, the virus, there's a chance that they'll be completely fine. They might not even notice. Um, but the, the biggest difference, um, I think, in age was that while um, while older Canadians are more concerned about the virus, they are less likely to say that they have been um, taking a, a, a hit in their mental health or their physical health. Particularly older men are saying they're much more likely to say that they're actually feeling pretty good. They're feeling just like they did when, when this outbreak started. Um, so a lot hasn't changed for that group. Whereas if you look at for young men, young women, we see uh, a lot more of a stark difference in terms of their mental health being hurt. Um, and for young men in particular, their physical health just being uh, stuck indoors a lot. 48% of them say that they're, they're doing worse than they were. So this is kind of some of the age impacts that we've seen. Um, older people more worried about the virus, but not as likely to say that it's having a huge uh, toll on their life at this point. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm running out of time here. We've got a couple of minutes left here, Dave, but uh, one other thing I did want to touch on is because uh, it's something that I've been kind of watching and monitoring throughout this whole thing, and I've been kind of waiting for more negative stories, I guess, to come out of it than I've seen. I've seen a lot of discussion when it comes to, you know, the relationships that people are having within uh, or with others in their household. I keep expecting to hear a lot more arguments happening and things getting, you know, significantly worse and relationships deteriorating as a result of spending more time with each other. Um, that's not really the case i mean uh, i'm looking at the data here and you know the more people that are in your house it feels like you know the the relationships might be taking a little bit more of a hit so the more people that are in your home um you know you seem to be having a little bit more maybe time struggling to to maintain those but for the most part things seem seem mm -hmm. pretty good yeah the interesting thing is actually we, we broke that down by by number of people in the household i think you're probably looking at the same thing i am uh, if people do want to check out the full release, it's at angstreet.org. But those who have four or more people in their household, there's a considerable number of them, almost 500, they're most likely to say that they're having a worse time, just 18% are, but they're also more likely to say that they're having, uh, their relationships have actually improved. 29% say that things have gotten better. So more time with the family is actually leading to, uh, you know, 
having a little bit more time with the kids or or with your partner and and people are are really you know they're weathering it quite well so far we got more positive responses than negative on that but uh you know we'll, we'll check in on that one in a couple of weeks and keep reporting on that and see how long that can hold up for because that that'll be an interesting one to watch yeah so uh like you had said it's been about uh, a little over maybe five five weeks or so five or six weeks since uh that mid-march time frame when everything really started to, to get into full gear when it comes to our pandemic response um and when when is your next one you mentioned a couple of weeks when you might check in on on relationships specifically i guess is there a timeline for when uh, angus reed may be putting out another full-fledged survey like this one uh, yeah, we, we do this weekly uh, generally, and we're actually trying to take a, a bit of a different angle. We're gonna we're gonna talk to kids. We're gonna get parents to put their kids on on take these surveys and and see how they're feeling and and see you know what what the kind of trends are with people who are in that eight to seventeen age range and and how they're holding up and what they're looking forward to. Um, I think that'll be an interesting angle that I haven't quite seen yet. So uh, every every few days we're putting out uh, surveys. So certainly keep an eye on the website and, and we'll keep coming on and, and chatting with you when we release them. Sounds good. I look forward to it. I'll definitely keep my eyes out for that uh, that young adults or sorry, young kids one too. Uh, that sounds interesting. Thanks so much for doing this, Dave. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Take care. You as well. That's uh, Dave Korzynski, Research Director at Angus Reid Institute there. Uh, he's working, of course, out of Vancouver. Now, if you want to check out that full survey, log on to angusreid.org. Uh, it's worth looking through. There's just some interesting data, lots of graphs. You don't have to read too deeply into things, but uh, definitely some nice picture data to take a look at as well. So I encourage you to do that, and we'll uh, we'll have more of these conversations with Dave uh, as more information gets released. Well, on that happy note, it's time for me to wrap things up. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed her time while it lasted. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.